Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the Gospel and Father Brian Barr's homily from this past Sunday. Don't forget to check out our other episodes where Father Brian joins me for discussion and additionally answers any listener questions. But until then, here's the homily from May 28, 2017, the seventh Sunday of Easter. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son so that your Son may glorify you, just as you gave him authority over all people, so that your Son may give eternal life to all you gave him. Now this is eternal life, that you should know, they should know you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me, Father, with you, with the glory that I had with you before the world began. I revealed your name to those whom you, have, whom you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you gave me is from you, because the words you gave to me I have given to them. And they accepted them and truly understood that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for the ones you have given me. Because they are yours and everything of mine is yours. And everything of yours is mine. And I have been glorified in them. And now I, no longer, I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world while I am coming to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. How many of you know who uh, Ruby Bridges is? Maybe raise your hand. Ruby Bridges? Yeah, okay, not, not many. Um, yep, in the back. I, uh, I didn't know who she was. I certainly didn't know her name. Uh, I kind of maybe from a distance, once I read her story, I kind of had a sense of who she was. Uh, she was the first... African-American student to uh, attend an all-white grade school in the South back in the early 60s. Uh, she basically busted segregation, in a sense, or was the beginning of the, of the end of it uh, because of what she did. Um, she was six years old. It's an incredible story. She was six years old. It was 1960 in New Orleans. And... Uh, Courts were trying to finally integrate the schools, end segregation, and uh, there was such opposition to even the possibility of it, they, uh, they had to bring in U.S. Marshals to allow uh, black kids to now go to these schools that had been previously all white. There's a great, Norman Rockwell did a great painting of uh, this scene this little girl, Ruby Bridges, and she's, uh, she's walking to school. What happened was she, everybody fought this so much that on her first day of school, there wasn't one white kid who showed up. All of the parents just kept their kids at home. Um, every teacher but one said, we're not, we're not coming to school, we're not. They just sort of like boycotted the whole experience. So for the entire year, this one brave teacher um, taught this one brave little girl 
I mean, it was really, it's, it, the story, it seems to me, is like, it's us, us, at our best and our worst, or our, our worst and our best. You got this bigotry and, and ignorance of a culture and a time, and he got this courage of this little girl and her family. Anyway, Rockwell uh, did this really powerful painting of uh, she's being escorted by these four marshals. Um, horrible things are written on the on the wall as she's making her way to the school in the background. Smashed tomatoes, which were being thrown at her. They're just horrendous. Um, However, the following year, uh, the schools were segregated. In fact, even that year, uh, the first day or two were terrible. There was sort of no presence of any other students, but eventually it started to crack, and they came back. Uh, however, she spent the entire year isolated, had lunch alone. She tells a story about now as an adult how uh, she started to become friends with this little six-year-old, white kid, and uh, they were kind of friends. They were hanging out, and then all of a sudden and abruptly, the white kid stops talking to, to Ruby, and Ruby's kind of confused, and she speaks to the kid, and the kid goes, my mom and dad won't let me talk to you. I mean, it was just, it's hard to believe it's only not even 60 years ago. Anyway, uh, during that year, there's a uh, pretty famous psychiatrist, his name is uh, Robert Coles, who's from Harvard. He uh, did a ton of work in child psychology, working with kids, and written a lot of books, and he offered to be with her during this year. He, uh, he said he would just sort of be present and, and, and provide counseling to her and to her parents, and they agreed, and uh, they struck up this great relationship, and he wrote a lot about it. He wrote a a great children's book about her story and then lots of articles about her strength and her resolve and, and really her faith more than anything and her parents. I mean, it certainly wasn't just this little girl. It was the influence of these very significant parents. Anyway, one day, the teacher, this great teacher that bucked the system and said, I'm going to continue to teach, was watching her. She was watching her as she was coming into school and leaving and kind of going through this gauntlet of abuse and torment. She could see her that she was saying something, or at least she was moving her lips like she was talking to somebody, like she was talking to herself, and she was worried about this. She just thought, like, what's going on? Is this stress really starting to get to her? And she mentions it, the teacher mentions it to this psychiatrist. So he speaks to her about it. And this is what, this was the conversation. Ruby, who are you talking to walking into school this morning? I was talking to God and praying for the people in the street. Why were you doing that? Well, because I wanted to pray for them. Don't you think they needed praying for? Where did you learn that? From my mommy and daddy, and from the minister at church. I pray every morning when I come to school, and every afternoon when I go home. 
But Ru Ruby, those people are so mean to you. You must have some other feelings besides just wanting to pray for them. No. I just keep praying for them and hope God will be good to them. I always pray the same thing. Please, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Well, he was amazed by this, this Dr. Coles, uh, as I am, and I suspect you are too. Um, this, like, remarkably Christ-like res response, like, literally Christ-like response, like, praying the same words that Jesus did on the cross to those that were tormenting him. And I was wondering, like, do great things ever really happen without prayer? Like, do great things in life ever really happen without the prayers of others? Some aspect or way. You know, I was reading a little bit about her story and the price that this family paid for just doing the right thing. Her father lost her, his job. Her grandparents, who didn't even live in the state, but they were in the South, and they lost their jobs. They used to, uh, the grocery store that they used to buy food at said to them, no more. You're not, you can't come in here and shop. And they were just regularly threatened throughout the year. Daily, they were threatened. And she's praying that God will forgive them. She's thinking about them. She's reaching out to God for them. I mean, where does that integrity come from? Where does that kind of example come from? Like, when you hear Jesus say it on the cross, you say, well, it's Jesus. You know, still probably tough to do, but it was Jesus. Like, when we do something like that, when a six-year-old girl is capable of something like that, I wonder, is it, is it all about prayer? Is it about the power and reality of prayer? I mean, look at these readings that we just heard. Everybody's praying. Everybody's praying in these readings today. You got Jesus praying for the disciples at the Last Supper in the upper room. And now you got in the first reading from the Acts of the Apostles, the apostles are there in the same upper room after Jesus has ascended to heaven, but before Pentecost, which is exactly where we are right now. Ascension Thursday was a couple of days ago. Pentecost is a week from today. So they were kind of like in this middle period where the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come. And it says, all these devoted, they all devoted themselves with one accord to prayer. So maybe we could just talk a little bit about that this morning. Prayer. Maybe consider like, how we pray. 
But how do you pray? When do you pray? Where do you pray? What do you say when you pray? Has it changed over the years? If you were able to take like a videotape of you at prayer 20 years ago, would it look different than the way you pray today? I was reading about um, during World War II in England. Um, it's 1940. The British instituted this national prayer. They called it the, the Silent Minute. And what they did was every night at 9 p.m., Big Ben, the big uh, clock in London, they'd ring the, the bells would ring at 9 o'clock, and for one minute, there'd be like a period of silence. Prayer for peace. And it was not a sectarian. It wasn't Jesus wasn't being mentioned. They weren't praying the rosary. It was just prayer for peace. And it was broadcast on the radio. You know, in 1940, the radio was like the TV. So it was broadcast everywhere. Anyway, after the war... This Nazi was being questioned by British soldiers or officers. Nazi officer being questioned by British officers. And he was asked why Germany, why they, he thought Germany lost the war. And this is what this guy, this Nazi said. We lost the war because you had a secret weapon for which we could find no countermeasure, which we didn't even understand. But I realize now it's power. It struck each evening at 9 o'clock. I believe you called it the silent minute. The power of prayer. You know, I've been thinking a little bit about how we pray here. Sometimes I'll watch a little bit before Mass the way we kind of gather here. And I, and I think something has changed. I mean, I've been 24 years a priest, and I, I can see how things have changed over the years. I'm not so sure we're praying before Mass as much as we used to. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably saying, how would you know? You're always two minutes late for Mass anyway, so you can't even tell what we're doing. But every once in a while I am here before Mass. And it is interesting what you see. The number of people that come in and they continue to be on their phones. They're not talking. They're not receiving calls. But they're texting. And they're reading something. Now maybe some of them are, you know, reading, reading the Gospel on the phone. I mean, some. I don't think most are. Like, I think we got it. I think we should leave it in the car. 
It's like we, it's almost like we're, we approach the body languages. I'm, I'm like I'm sitting, waiting for a meeting to begin. I'm sitting in the doctor's office waiting to get called in. So I just sit on my phone and I, I kind of do stuff. And we're just not praying, I think. I got a buddy of mine who's, you know, we go out to dinner. He's a little, he's a little crazy with the phone. I mean, I think we all are, but he, I'll be sitting across from him having dinner and, I'll, and, and I'll, I'm talking to him and all of a sudden, he's like, his head goes down and he's texting. I'm like, hey, would you put the phone away? And he's like, I'm listening to you. I'm like, no, you're not. You can't do two things. You can't do that at the same time. I don't think we can. And I don't think we could pray and text at the same time. So I think what's happening a lot is we're, we're texting. But we're doing something on the phone. And we're not coming in here when we're a minute or two or three early and kneeling in prayer. Sometimes I think it's like we're just, we're attending Mass. Like I used to attend class. There were classes where I just, when I was in school, I'd just show up. I was there physically. But I really didn't engage it. I didn't really enter into it for a couple of, a bunch of reasons, most of which were my fault. Once in a while, it might have been a, a teacher or a professor that was just awful. But I was just there. But I kind of wasn't. I was just checking the box. You know, I'm going to get marked. I'm going to get marked absent. I know that's going to affect my grades. So I got to show up. On some level, have we become guilty of that? Maybe even here. You know, it's interesting, it, uh, that first reading from the Acts of the Apostles, it says they were in the upper room. This is this in-between period I mentioned. And it lists the apostles where they were there, and it says Mary was there. So you got Mary and the apostles. I mean, what was Mary doing there? Well, she was a disciple, so she was among them. I suspect there might have been another reason. They needed her. They needed her example. They needed to watch her. I mean, remember who we're talking about here. You got Peter dealing with his betrayal. You got Thomas and his doubt. You have Matthew, who was this corrupt tax collector. Simon the Zealot was like this militant warrior. He wanted to, you know, overturn the government any way possible. I mean, these were sort of banged up people. They were damaged. So maybe they weren't ready to go out into the streets. Eventually they did. But the Holy Spirit hadn't arrived, and maybe they just needed time with Mary. Maybe she became like the teacher, and they just watched her in action. I think we all need good examples. You know, I grew up in my house. Uh, my grandmother lived with us growing up. She moved into the house when I was one. So I don't, you know, I don't remember her not being there. And she was this old woman from Ireland, and had awesome faith. You constantly saw her faith in action. She was always praying. I mean, I couldn't even count the number of times I'd walk by her room and the door would be open a couple of inches and you'd see her on her knees praying. Well, that has its effect. When you witness that, I don't think, it's not so easy to become a person of faith if you don't know people of faith. So I think even there for us to challenge ourselves, how we pray, how we're seen praying, 
at communion, after communion. Like when we go back, you know, we should, we should go down, we should kneel, and I think we all do that. But we're supposed to be praying at that point. How tempting it is, and I, I, we all do it. You kind of start looking around, you just check it out to see who you know. And you, you know, your mind starts racing in a million places, none of which lead to prayer. It's all distraction. But you look at somebody every once in a while, and they like their head is down, maybe their eyes are closed, and they are somewhere else. That's where we're supposed to be at that point. Not spectators. I think in the back, masses like this one, you know, and thank God how great it is that we got people that are, there's not enough seats, so they're standing in the back. At the Eucharistic prayer, if possible, to kneel, even though there's no kneeling. Hey, if you got bad knees, don't kneel. I'm not saying don't just, don't, don't do something you shouldn't. But if you can, you should. I remember being over at the hall, this was, you know, I guess in the months after Sandy, when we, we were saying Mass there, and I didn't have the Mass one particular, uh, I don't know, Sunday morning. And I was in the back, kind of just watching. And when everybody, in, in the, everybody went to uh, kneel, I watched what happened in the back. Nobody knelt at first. And then there was this kind of older guy, kind of steps forward and just went down on a knee during the Eucharistic prayer. And then I kind of watched what followed. There were these two brothers, teenager and his, you know, I don't know, 11-year-old brother. The older one was looking at the old man, and then the kid kneels down. And then the younger brother looks at the big brother, and then he follows. And then people followed them. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this first guy. Now, am I saying you can't pray if you're not on your knees? Of course not. But I'm saying what we, what we witness matters. It did for me, and I'll bet everybody out there who's got a grandmother like I had, you'll say the same thing. Your version of what I just said. There is enormous power in that. You know, eventually, these apostles left that room. When Pentecost happens, when the Holy Spirit ultimately does arrive, and then everything changed. They went from being afraid of talking about Jesus to shouting his name. They went from, I have nothing to do with him, to, I'm going to tell you everything I know about him. Like they became bold. They became Rudy, Ruby Bridges bold. That girl who walked that line for a year, they became bold like she was. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what prayer does. And you know what it also does? It takes us to dangerous places. It takes us to uncomfortable places. It challenges us to be different. Something as simple as being seen at prayer and not caring what others think. Man, if this six-year-old girl was able to do what she did for a year, what's expected of us? It says from St. Peter, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you. The name of Christ 
is going to bring insult. If we really go where the Spirit leads us, the Spirit brings us to two places, the beautiful places and the dangerous places. We got to go to both. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. Once again, look out for our next episode later this week where Father Brian joins me for some great discussion. Also, don't forget if you've got a question for Father Brian, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast by downloading the iTunes app for iPhones and the Stitcher app for all other devices. And as always, please share with your loved ones. We'll be back later this week, and until then, God bless.